G'day, I'm Vic Plume, I'm your narrator today, and the name of my novel is The Misadventures of Beau Hogart and the Brilliant Blue-Eyed Woman. Chapter 1. Oil do it. Not I'll do it, oil do it. Like oily, like oil you put in your car. You know, it's a play on words that you can't really see on an audiobook, but you could if you read the book. And now that I've explained that, let's get into it. Enjoy. Sitting where I so often sat, drinking a cup of whiskey with a dash of hot coffee and consuming tranquilizers like a politician does breath mints, I observed colourfully clothed turkey-like tourists making gobbling sounds while pointing at storefront windows. Others, seated at the many tables positioned along the sun-drenched thoroughfare, ate, drank and chatted. It was all typical behaviour in a popular French seaside town, but for me the lack of excitement was underwhelming, and if my hair had hands, it would have pulled itself out. The word mundane floated slowly across my mind like a lacklustre computer screensaver, quietly bumping into one side of my inner space before perpetually wandering back to bump into the other side. An elongated yawn gave me the opportunity to toss more tranquilizers into my alcohol, washing them down with the last of my McFire water. As my eyes began to droop, a large black pickup truck came roaring around the cobblestone corner. Standing on the back, a khaki-covered mercenary holding a huge fully automatic machine gun secured to a tripod began firing at two tables of dark-suited mafia types. Shop windows exploded as villains and innocents were hurled from their seats by the impacting bullets. Mobsters dived under tables while others grabbed bewildered patrons, using them as protective shields and returning fire. But they never had a chance. After waiting until every gangster had been eliminated, I dragged myself up from my chair, turned off the TV and headed for bed. Something strange was happening and it worried me. Even action movies had become a bore. It was 2am and this private investigator was cream crackered. In fact, I was far worse. I was a human slap-up meal, beat, baked and basted until I was well done but ultimately wasted. My cases were usually wealthy husbands spying on their wives or mistresses or variations on the theme. But things were about to change. I had a mysterious client coming around in the morning and if I didn't get some shut-eye, my eyeballs felt like they'd burst into flames. This meeting was important. I was strapped for cash so I wanted to look my best, which was never good at the best of times but not as bad as my worst, which was always not good at the worst of times. As my stumbling feet ploughed through an ocean of empty scotch bottles, tranquilizer pill containers and burger wrappers, the painful wail from a jazz-bitten saxophone oozed through the glass of my closed window from a neon-lit bar across the street. Collapsing onto my office sofa, I switched on my bedside lamp and reached for the packet of cigarettes and the Zippo lighter, emblazoned with a distinctive Maltese falcon. Eventually, after successfully flipping a cigarette into the appropriate hole in my face, I lit up, snapped shut the lid of the Zippo and leaned back on the couch. 
I took a long, determined draw, and the red ember glowed dimly against my fingers. Without inhaling, I moved the cigarette away and eased my mouth open, looking down with crossed eyes to behold the cumulonimbus-like smoke cloud. As the cloud rolled out of my mouth, I pulled it into my lungs at high speed, but as I went to exhale the bluish billowing lamplit cloud, a horrifying thought crossed my mind. I didn't smoke. In fact, I'd never seen these cigarettes all lighter before. After three or four minutes of intense coughing, silence filled the room. Then, out of a darkened corner, a man's voice spoke. Are you finished now, Mr. Hogart? I immediately went for my spare pistol situated at my ex-wife's house on the other side of town. It's all right, don't panic, said the voice. I'm your client, Louis Staines. I thought we'd have our meeting a little bit earlier than arranged. Not a problem, I sighed. It's four hundred bucks a day, plus the laundry bill for my shorts. I quickly adjusted the lamp toward the voice, blinding him momentarily. Please, Mr. Hogart, I don't like the light. Well, I've got other lights if you prefer, Mr. Staines. After tilting the lamp away, he lowered his hands from his eyes, allowing me to scan this character I'd spoken to once just briefly over the phone when we'd arranged this little get-together he decided he'd get together sooner than we'd both decided to arrange. It was obvious this dude liked to keep his width about him. He was bigger than a Texas Weight Watchers convention, short and immensely overweight, with two dark skid marks of hair at the backsides of his head and sporting a bizarre yellow tuft that stood stiffly to attention in the middle of his skull like a sulphur-crested cockatoo. He was wrapped in a brown and wrinkly food-stained suit from which his bulky body was desperately trying to escape. He was aged somewhere from 45 to 60 years old, and his grey eyes showed more concern than a quadriplegic altar boy at a Christian Brothers nudist camp. You've got a lot of nerve sneaking in here and hiding in the corner of my room, I slurred angrily, amazed I could actually sentence a string together. What are you talking about, replied Staines. You let me in half an hour ago and told me to wait in the corner until you'd finished watching the movie. Ah, yes, so I did. I admitted. Sorry about that. I've had a lot of late nights, and these tranquilizers my doctor gave me seem to be having a strange effect. Would you care for a whiskey? I took a small handful of pills and washed them down with two shots of Scottish gasoline. No thank you, said my newest client. Let's get down to business. I don't have much time. No problem. You're the boss. What's the story? There is no story. I just need you to find Lena Lovich. He handed me a rectangular piece of stiff white paper. What the hell is this? It's a photo of her. Show it to the bar staff and patrons at the Emerald Green Nightclub in Las Vegas and see what you come up with. She worked there for two months until she disappeared three weeks ago. She wasn't a magician's assistant by any chance. No, she was doing bar work. On a pole? No, behind the bar. Well, it's not going to be easy. This photo's blank. That's the back of the photo, he replied wearily. Her picture's on the other side. I turned the photo over and saw a headshot of a beautiful Caucasian female with stunningly high cheekbones and brilliantly charged desert sky-blue eyes resting on beds of pure snow-white marble. Aged somewhere in her mid-twenties, she was wearing electric blue-bobbed hair and a pierced face full of metal piercings. Okay, but I'm gonna need a week's pay in advance, a contact number and a metal detector. He handed me his business card, a $10,000 wad of cash, and a one-way plane ticket to Vegas. Then, looking even more concerned, he continued, 
Money is not a problem, Mr. Hogarth. Just find my daughter and you'll be duly rewarded. No worries. Does this Lena Lovitch woman know where your daughter might be? Lena Lovitch is my daughter. Well, she should know where she is then, I said, finishing off the bottle of whiskey with two more tranquilizers. One more thing, Mr. Hogarth. You must be exceedingly careful. There may be people out there who do not want her found. Okay, how may is may, I slurred, his Buddha-like bulk splitting into two fuzzy frescoes. Very may, Mr. Hogarth. Just what sort of trouble is your daughter in, Mr. Steins? He groaned while struggling to get up off the seat, and as he wobbled toward the office door, I glanced down at his business card. Lewis Staines, United States Chief Secretary for Energy. This guy must have easily weighed 350 pounds, but he was big in more ways than one. United States Chief Secretary for Energy meant he was one of the most powerful men in government. But why would such a powerful dude come to an overpriced hack like me, I wondered, spraying a powerful air freshener in his powerful wake. He could easily deploy a special forces unit to find her. I began counting the money out aloud. One hundred, two hundred, three hundred. Oh, and by the way, said my powerful and puzzling client while facing the door, the reason I'm hiring you is because you're an unknown. But remember, others may be looking for her. And if they find out I've hired you, it's highly likely they'll... He stopped talking and waited until I'd finished attempting to count the alleged $10,000 wad of cash. As I said, Mr. Hogarth, money is no problem. Just make sure nobody finds out you're working for me, or you definitely may find yourself lost at sea in a barbed wire canoe with tennis rackets as paddles and only concrete flippers as an alternate means of escape. He turned to face me from across the room. I'll help you as much as I can, Mr. Hogarth, but nobody can find out what your mission is. As he disappeared through the door, I pulled out his packet of cigarettes, which I'd secreted into my pocket after blinding him with the lamplight earlier. Then, using my new Zippo lighter with a distinctive Maltese falcon emblazoned across it, I casually lit up, snapped shut the lid of the Zippo, and leaned back on the couch. I took a long, determined drawer and the red ember glowed dimly against my fingers. But as the bluish lamp-lit smoke billowed from my mouth, a horrifying thought crossed my mind. This Surgeon General person wasn't messing around. Smoking really was addictive. You've now reached the end of Chapter 1.